Hi, thank you for joining us. This Mita del Com podcast episode has been produced by the Mita Diversity Institute Global, which is a member of the Mita del Com consortium. Hello and welcome to this Media Delcom podcast produced by Media Diversity Institute Global and hosted by me, Tanya Saksuski. In this episode, we review what the project has found. What are those major risks and opportunities for deliberative communication in Europe? Joining me is project coordinator Haliki Haro-Lloyd from the Estonian team to talk about the biggest risks, the importance of monitoring changes in the media landscape and how to turn risks into opportunities. You're on the home stretch of the Media Delcom project now, the last few months remaining. You've got findings out. Some of the main ones have looked at the risks and opportunities for deliberative communication in the 14 countries in your project. What is the biggest risk? I think that the biggest risk when we compare all 14 countries is that we do not take into consideration the differences between European countries and try to imagine that one and the same kind of policy would match for all. What are the other risks when it comes to putting deliberative communication into play? Yeah, let us pick just one example. The main classical risk seems to be very obvious is the decreasing risk of freedom of speech and freedom of press. It's very important to distinguish this. And this is obviously, we can see that it is important issue on European level. Um, whistleblower regulation, let me say, concerns freedom of expression. Then GDPR has changed a lot concerning the transparency and access to public information, etc. So what I would say is that, or even if some countries for example, are very good while the press freedom is monitored, then this situation is not exactly the same when we speak about access to information or information transparency or, let me say, freedom of speech. So I think that here the risk is that we do not actually can monitor the small changes which step-by-step makes this transparency less obvious in different countries. I think that the very small changes, not only in legislation, but also how the court interprets, how the different actors will react. And I think that this is exactly one of the risks that we do not, we cannot observe small changes towards, uh, let me say, close society. You're talking about small changes. They can go into the positive realm and they can take the negative slide. So you're also looking, project is also looking at how countries sort of compare as much as you can compare them. As you said, each country is quite different. It's not quite as easy as as people might imagine. How concerning are those small steps some countries are taking sliding backwards when it comes to media, media freedom? I think that what is the good thing of Media Delcom is that we can see different small risks in different so-called domains. So we can see that there is maybe a small step against or backwards to the transparency. Then there might be also, for example, a small step that brings uh, the society backwards towards the journalistic autonomy. Maybe there is less uh, freedom of speech, 
But at the same time, journalistic autonomy is growing. So the importance of these journalists as balancing factor is increasing. So we can say, okay, this kind of agents are very important and this kind of, if they are active, we will have more opportunities. So interplay between different actors might result into risks and or opportunities. So how difficult is it then to sort of grade a country to say it's sliding backwards, it's moving forwards, if the nuance is there, as you just explained? Yes, I think that it is one of the main results of the project that we are, as much as possible, we are not trying to grade the country. We are trying rather to look which factors are balancing uh, against each other. So I think that this is something I would like because grading always is... Uh, simplifying. But in our project, we are rather looking how different agents and different factors play against each other or are balancing each other. And will there be more opportunities or risks? Has anything in that surprised you? I think that maybe I was surprised how the different... We have now decided that we have three major kind of scenario ideas. Transparency, as I already said, and then journalistic uh, sustainability or autonomy, and then the potential of deliberative communication concerning the prosumers and public. What has been surprised me a bit, let me say, is that the interplay between the different actors has so many differences in different countries. I would say so that I think that my training has been, uh, let me say, a bit more, no, we are thinking about, let me say, that there are different media systems and there is so, no, some countries have so certain main problems and others are very good and they are very good and there are no problems. For example, Estonia is always in the top of the press freedom and Finland and, and Hungary has very big problems. But what surprised me exactly is that how the different actors and, and structural factors make the actual dynamics. Is there a possibility that the path dependency might not be so strong if we could change one or another factor, for example. So it sounds to me that the 14 countries in the project are all EU countries, and obviously there are overarching EU laws, that making those laws must be awfully difficult because, as you said, it's not that easy to sort of rank or designate a ranking or a grading to any country and that those different interplays change the dynamics. How difficult is it then for policymakers to try to have laws or regulations that cater for all of these differences? Yes, I don't think that they really should cover all the differences on the very general level. I think if we are making the value-based policy, then of course we should speak about values and of course then we have practices that are, no, the laws are applied. But then we shall start, this is the culture of analysis. On the national level, I think that then we should care how certain legal change will affect what kind of agents and structures. Simplification is so tempting. If there is a simple way how to just to group or how to say that, okay, we shall apply this rule and we will have such and such results, this is tempting, but this is not, not how the things are. So I think that, that therefore the way how we think about different risk, risk factors and how they are balanced, what 
has more influence and another actors and factors have less influence. Again, I can make a parallel to the climate change. All the factors are not equal. They are balancing each other. So we cannot simplify. It sounds like some of those competing interests that are balancing each other is also highlighting some of the opportunities that exist for deliberative communication. What are they? What have you found? I think that we haven't uh, gone so far yet. Let us see what the agent-based modeling could tell us. It is quite innovative approach. But yeah, uh, the problem, I think that we do not have a very long tradition of this agent based or agent-oriented approach to the, the analysis of what's happening with media and inside media. So if you speak about the competing interests, then I think that we have to go further. We have just got some basic ideas that could be influence. But I think that this branch needs a bit more further research, actually. I'm going to do what you've just advised not to do. I'm going to sort of simplify things a little yes. bit. <laughs> You're kind of, in a way, that the Media Delcom project, looking at the health of the media in these 14 countries, how would you describe it? We are doing the diagnosis uh, from different perspectives. And that is, I think, how we can manage because we are trying to cover or we are trying to point out where there is a knowledge about, uh, let me say, main problems, what we actually know about the problems of the media health, where are the strong sites. So the specific aspect of the media telecom is that we are not actually gathering empirical data on media health, but our first aim is to ask what we do know about the media health. It is like, uh, let me say, our approach is not to be the doctor who will make different tests and then do the diagnosis. But our approach is to assess the qualification of the doctor maybe, but also uh, what the tests she or she has done. Is it enough? Could she or she do more tests? So is this information enough to put the diagnosis. Where are the main gaps in knowledge then? Methodological, when we speak about media usage, for example, then accessibility, when we speak again, speak about media usage, because as I said, business is producing quite a lot of knowledge that is not publicly accessible in several countries. This is, this is a problem. And methodological, because uh, old research methods, for example, cannot actually very well cover the repertoires of the people. So we know how many people use some channel but we do not know what kind of media the whole population uses. And actually what we need to know, we need to know what is the media environment, different segments of people are living in, let me say so. The interest of the business, of course, is to know how many people are looking or watching their channel. So there are competing interests. So if the business is gathering the main knowledge, then, of course, the knowledge gap is concerning this people's usage approach. We do have a big knowledge gap concerning the media literacy, actual media literacy of different age groups, because young people, a lot of knowledge, a lot of research done. But what about other age groups? Not so much. So there are plenty of such knowledge gaps which might affect the political decisions. I will give you one example. The knowledge gap concerning the repertoires and trust of media and other channels concerning 
yeah, concerning different age groups. And this became obvious when the COVID pandemia was, because then, I don't know why, Estonian government started to do very big media propaganda. We already then know, okay, quite many people do not trust media, they do not listen media. You may have 10 times the same message through the media channel, that doesn't change anything. And then came out that some people could trust only neighbors, their own doctors. They were absolutely immune against media messages. It was quite a big amount of people. So this is illustration how the knowledge gap can influence in crisis situation the actual outcome. Were there any other surprising findings? And I'm thinking of factors that maybe we assume are risks to deliberative communication but actually don't really affect it very much. One, uh, but it is maybe smaller detail, but, but as I said, that there is quite a lot of research about the media-related competences concerning young people. And I think that in this area, maybe we assume bigger risks. I would say, though, that uh, some of the areas where we do have quite a lot of knowledge, the risk might have been decreasing, actually. But those areas where we have not paid attention, might actually have bigger risk. Any other risks or opportunities you want to highlight briefly, or have we covered them all? Maybe one aspect, and that is the uh, risks concerning journalistic autonomy and, and sustainability. I think that because of social media, there are news everywhere. And maybe we have, some, some countries uh, have underestimated a bit the role of professional journalists as the quality information providers. And maybe there is also one underestimated risk of the qualification of journalistic um, community and their motivations, because there is an increasing pressure against journalists. So this might be one underestimated risk. It seems to me you've been talking more about the risks than the opportunities. Can I assume there are more risks than opportunities? Yes, I think so. It is the logics of the project also, because what we can can see more now, what are the, what is the pressing need is to react something that goes not in this direction which we want. So I think that it is natural to see uh, more potential and also realized risks. But the key question is how to turn potential risks into potential opportunities. So I think that if we can see the potential or realized risks in the first instance, then we should also think how can we turn them into opportunities. So this is the logics. Are you optimistic that deliberative communication can become something important in these countries? I think that it takes time. So one question is that how much we pay attention, how much effort the society as a whole will start to pay. And that depends on how much we speak about, how much we pay attention. If we pay attention, let me say again, climate, 10 years ago, it was not such an issue. So we start, the discourse has been developed slowly, steadily, but it has been developing. So now, if we take the polarization and acceleration seriously, then it might be so that step by step, this kind of thinking will be rooted into public discourse. And then slowly, in the first instance, slowly, but then, of course, quicker, the changes might start to happen. But this takes time and this takes some, yeah, 
we are living in the era where we are all fighting for attention. Haliki, thank you very much for the insights into the risks and opportunities and findings so far of the Media Delcom project. Thank you. And thank you for joining me for this Media Delcom podcast produced by Media Diversity Institute Global. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like and share it. We look forward to your company next time. Goodbye.